not only is suffering a part of the Christian life, suffering is core to authentic Christianity. There cannot be faithful identification with Jesus apart from suffering. We don't want to embrace that, but it's the truth of God's Word. Hello and welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Crawford Lorenz. Thanks for joining us and Happy New Year. Well, here we are overlooking 12 brand new months. We wonder what's ahead. What will the new year bring? I think we would all love to see positive growth, new discoveries, wonderful times with family and friends. But there's a good chance dark clouds will move in at some point, the waters turbulent. So how do we navigate unexpected challenges this year? Well, that's the title of Crawford's new series, taking us to the book of 1 Peter. Hope you can join us as we gain biblical perspectives on how God expects us to deal with the difficulties and how comforting to know that He will not abandon us in those times. If this is your first visit with us, a big welcome. Crawford has been in ministry for over 50 years. He served with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, and pastored Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Now in retirement, Crawford heads Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. His books include Make It Home Before Dark, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, let's join Crawford with this first message in the Navigating Life's Challenges series. Our text, 1 Peter chapter 1. Today's study is titled Priceless and Precious. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Really, the book of 1 Peter, I mean, you can get fancy if you want to, but really it's a book that is about how to thrive and survive in the midst of suffering. It's about suffering. One of the things that sometimes I think we miss out on whenever we read or study books of the Bible, um, we don't ask the foundational question as to why was the book written? It's in knowing the background and the reason why the book was written that gives force to what the author is saying. It just makes it clearer. It makes, it makes the pathway uh, more direct without clutter. Peter wrote this letter to believers who were scattered throughout the five Roman, Roman provinces. In fact, you don't even need to go to the commentaries to figure out why Peter wrote this book. He says so in the very first verse of the book. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those were the five Roman provinces. And so what has taken place is that these folks, dispersion means that they had been dispersed. They had been scattered. Now, the reason why they had been scattered uh, was because they were under persecution. You have to understand something. The, the, the Romans tolerated Judaism. They tolerated Judaism for political reasons. Uh, but Christianity was not an approved state religion. And uh, Christianity in the first century was viewed as a threat to the emperor of Rome and the control of the, of, of the Roman Empire. As Christianity began to expand and explode and, and, and people were be, being converted by the hundreds and by the thousands, uh, they couldn't put their finger on, well, what is this new thing? And they talked about this man Jesus as being their Lord and their Savior, which vied with the control of the emperor. And so they start coming after these believers. And that's why they were scattered. They had to run for their lives. 
persecution. And so, these followers of Christ were placed under official persecution. Now, we ain't, we ain't talking about, you know, being called into human resources because you're playing Christian music at your cubicle. Um, these, these people were being killed. Stuff was being taken from them. They were under heavy persecution. When you've gone through a hard time, have you ever asked the question, why me? I mean, what, what did I do wrong? I mean, why, why, why is this happening to me? Why, why did I get this diagnosis? Why, why did I lose this job? Why are these people pulling back from me? Why am I going through this hard time? Why, why me? I mean, you know, we assume because we are good people that good things will always happen to us. Now, I want you to hear me on this. This is a particular problem with those of us who are middle class and upper middle class. It is a particular mindset with us. We make this terrible assumption, hey, well, I'm a good person. I don't mistreat my kids. I, I don't mistreat my husband or my wife. I, I, I'm in a small group. I read the Bible. I pray. I share my faith. You know, I, I give. I, I'm, I, I'm a good person. Well, why is this happening to me? And you, when you couple this with this, you know, and again, I, please forgive me. It sounds like I'm a broken record here, although they don't know anything about records. So my, my playlist is stuck or whatever. Um, <laughs> You, you know, to, to add to this is, is, is this, this, this idiotic theology that keeps raising his head that if you, you know, if you name and claim stuff and if you sow seeds and if you do good stuff that you're not going to have problems in life. Part of what we have to understand is that uh, suffering is part of the Christian life. Now that's too weak. I need to, I need to strengthen that. Not only is suffering a part of the Christian life, I want, you, I want you to hear me on this. You may need to write this line down. Not only is suffering a part of the Christian life, suffering is core to authentic Christianity. There cannot be, there cannot be faithful identification with Jesus apart from suffering. I mean, this is high pitch over our heads. I know, I know we don't want to embrace that, but it's the truth of God's word. We, I, you know, and I've been guilty of this. We, we really do need to preach a series of messages on the gift of suffering. It is all the way through the scriptures. There is no authentic godliness. There is no authentic Christ-likeness apart from suffering. No less than the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1. Now, the, Paul is not only talking about how to survive and how he's making it through suffering, but the joy that he chooses in light of suffering. And he says in chapter 1, verse 29, that suffering is a gift from God. He says, to you it has been given not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. Jesus himself said to his followers in the upper room, preparing them, preparing them for life after his death, burial, and resurrection. He said these words in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say you might have tribulation, that gee, you know, it could happen to you. No, he said in this world, in this world, in this life, 
on this side of the grave, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, no one should, should ask for suffering. Suffering is painful. Suffering is not delightful. But the fact of the matter is, suffering is our birthright. It is our heritage. It is a sign of identification. The crucifixion of Christ. So the question is, how do we get through? What do we do? This is what Peter is talking about in this letter. How do we get through? Specifically, he starts the letter by saying, how, do you, how are you going to get through this? There's not one line, one sentence, one clause in this entire letter where Peter says to try to avoid suffering. Not one. But here in this first chapter, he says, okay, I want to start at the very beginning. I know you've lost your homes. I know they're coming after you. Some of you, your loved ones, have been martyred, thrown in jail. You might be next. How are you going to get through? What are you going to do? Peter says, fundamentally, we focus on the who and the what. You have to focus on what is most valuable, what is priceless and precious. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, and I'm just going to outline this to you today, but he says in that section, these two things that you have to focus on, you, you have to look up and you have to look back. You got to look up and you have to look back. Or in other words, you have to focus on our Lord. We focus on our Lord and then secondly, we focus on our legacy. The way you get through is focus on the Lord and focus on your legacy. First, he says, we focus on our Lord. That's, verse, that's verses 3 through 9. The idea here is that uh, we, we need to underscore what God through Christ has secured for us. That's what he's outlining in verses 3 through 9. What has God through Christ secured for us? In other words, what is stable? What is stable about your life? Now, this other stuff is not stable. You don't know if they're going to come and get you tomorrow. You don't know if they're going to take your house away from you. You don't know if they're going to kill you. You don't know what's going to happen to you. But what is stable about you? What is sure? What is stable? The way you're going to get through is to focus on what is stable. So what has he secured for us? The first thing he has secured for us is a living hope. Our living hope. That's verses 3 through 5. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, I want, you to, I want you to look at that line. He has caused us to be born again. God takes the initiative in producing new life. You say, why is this important? He's establishing God as the prime mover in their lives, and by implication, the prime mover in all of life. God caused us to be born again. He took the initiative in your salvation. 
And implied and spoken throughout the rest of the book, if he takes the initiative in your salvation, he's going to take the initiative in sustaining you. He caused us to be born again. Now, no one takes credit for being born. If they do, they're crazy. It's something that happens to us. I mean, what kind of fool are you? I mean, you, you, you say, well, you know what? Yeah, I just decided it was time for me to be conceived. Yeah, I'm so smart. It's time for me to be conceived. Well, we laugh at that, but that's, you know, you, you, you shouldn't take credit for your own salvation. I hear too many arrogant testimonies. People saying stuff like, you know, well, I, I fought the Lord, and I, I, but I finally decided to give my life to him. Really? That was your decision to make. Seriously. You did him a favor. Now, if you stop and think about your life, Yes, we express faith and all of that, but even that's a gift from God. If you stop and think about even your conversion, how you came to Jesus, the truth of the matter is, if you think about it, God hemmed you in. God hemmed me in. God came and got us and began to squeeze us and push us and focus us on the love and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. So here he's, he's, he's getting ground zero here. So fundamentally, fundamentally, I know, you're, I, know, I know you're struggling right now, but what you have to understand is that God caused you to be born again. He caused you to be born again to a living hope. Again, verse, verse, verse 3. Caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, the living hope has to do with both God being the author of salvation and the source of hope. You hear the secure language here? He calls us to be born again to a living hope. And the hope here is not speculation. The hope here is assurance and confidence. The line through the resurrection, our new birth and our hope is based on the living resurrected Christ. And so what he's saying to these readers is that, look, I know things are a mess in your life. I know things are falling apart. Just as some of you in your life, things are falling apart. It's a mess. And you're wondering, what am I going to do? Where am I going to turn? What's going on? How are we going to make it? And here the Lord screams to all of us. I want you to look vertically here. What has not changed is the living hope. And since Jesus is not in the grave, your new birth and hope is based on the resurrected Christ. Notice it's living, meaning our assurance in Christ is is as certain and sure as Christ is alive. And you got to believe that. You gotta believe it. If we say that we really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's more than fodder for intellectual apologetic arguments. If you say that you really believe, if we say that we really believe in the resurrected Jesus, that means the person of Jesus is not theoretically, not mythically, or mysteriously alive. It means that he is literally alive. And he himself is our living, our living, our living hope. Verse 4 says on, on top of that, and, 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 and Peter's just trying to get the people to go vertical here. 
No, no, don't look at all the stuff that's happening to you because if you focus on that stuff, you're going to drown, man. It's going to be all over. Further, he says <laughs> in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This inheritance, he's saying that our inheritance cannot be destroyed by hostile forces. That is the backdrop of this context of the book. Remember, these people are being persecuted. Everything else is being taken away from you, from them. They say, oh, oh, oh please, oh, oh, not, not everything. In fact, not the most important thing. There is this inheritance that we have. Uh, it, won't be, it won't be destroyed by hostile forces. It won't be destroyed by Rome. It won't be destroyed by a disease that you have. It won't be destroyed by a lost job. It won't be destroyed by the loss of your money. It won't be destroyed by people coming after you. This inheritance. God. It will, not be, it will not spoil like rotten fruit or fade in color. None of that's going to happen. Why? Because it's kept in heaven. Our inheritance of eternal life is watched over by God himself. It is secure. Now, here's a problem. I might as well just come around. Let's, let's just put it right on the table here. The problem is, is that I would wager that most Christians do not have a real visceral heart, confident belief in the reality of heaven. We intellectually do, but I'm gonna tell you something. If we do not embrace in our hearts that there is, a, there is a mansion waiting for us, there is a real God, and that there is real reward, then what we're talking about here doesn't make sense. Close your Bible. If you don't, if you don't really believe, close your Bible. Put your, put your pen down. This, it doesn't make sense. It absolutely doesn't make sense. If this world is the payoff, it's somehow, we, we say we believe it, but we kind of like, yeah, you know, square footage here is like my heaven. Don't say that. My security is found in my bank account, my career. But what Peter's trying to do is get their eyes above the hope line to, to look up this way. And to say, hey, look, look, your salvation is not some recreational experience. It's not, not, a, not, not, a, not a bunch of nice inspirational sayings. The tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, and you have an inheritance waiting for you. You are a pilgrim and a stranger that's just walking through this land. Don't let it hold on to you. And everything that's taken from you will be given back to you. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that. Verse 5 tells us that not only is our inheritance being guarded, but we, the heirs, are being guarded. Who? by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the, in the last time. So we're being guarded. The expression who is not the what, but it's the who. It's not just the inheritance, but right now he says, we heirs are being protected by the power of God. 
that our hearts are being protected. Now, this does not mean that he's gonna give us the material thing back and the stuff that we, no, that our salvation, our hearts, we're being protected by the very power of God. You know, I travel uh, some, and sometimes I've gone to a hotel only to discover that my reservations have been confused or canceled. You know, and I have a particular challenge. About a third of the time when I show up, I, I say, you know, I'm Crawford Loretz, you, and uh, they ask my name. Oh, um, Loretz, we can, hmm. you spell that again? L-O-R-I-T-T-S, hmm, it's not there. I say, try Crawford. Oh, here it is. Sam Cursory, I'm blessed with two last names, you know, so about a third of times that's, that's, that's what happens to me. There have been times I've shown up and through the years that happened often where I've actually been kind of like wiped off the books. What Peter's saying is that this will not happen when we arrive in heaven. This inheritance is secure. I mean, it's not going to be in some scene up there saying, um, you're bringing the book of life over here, Crawford? Mm. Oh, no, man. <laughs> no, it's there. So, our Lord has secured this living hope, but he's also secured our encouragement. That's what verses 6 and 7 is all about. Look at verse 6. It says, in this you rejoice. In what? In what? Your living hope, your inheritance. In this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's saying that a living hope results in present joy. Did you hear that? Did you hear? Don't let anybody lie to you and say that to be heavenly minded means to be no earthly good, or to be heavenly minded means to be categorically irrelevant down here. Or to be heavenly minded means that you, you know, you're, you're just living in denial. That is not true. It's not true. In fact, the very wording of the verse here, he talks about being heavenly minded, but he also acknowledges the grieving that ought to take place when there's suffering and loss. But what he's saying here is that this reality, this reality of a living hope, not make-believe, not a cartoon, not a series of lies, not empty motivational statements, but the reality of an empty tomb, the reality of an inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven by God himself, that reality should cause you to rejoice. Dr. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. And we'll get to part two of this message, Priceless and Precious, next time. We just launched Crawford's new series called Navigating Life's Challenges. This series will help us apply biblical principles that will give tremendous comfort and assurance when the tough times come. If you weren't able to hear all of today's message, listen on our website. Look for the link, Past Programs. The audio is available anytime. Thanks for your emails. Rich writes, I was listening to your recent sermon on prayer. I love how you give it to us straight. You said, intimacy with God links us to our sinfulness and wickedness. Well, that's so true. Thanks again for your ministry, and may God bless you abundantly. Thank you so much, Rich. Appreciate that. Now, how about you? Write to us at legacyatmoody.edu. Legacyatmoody.edu. Well, great to have you with us today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis, and again, Happy New Year. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, 
a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.